Hey, it's Yola Kali. What's up? Hey, y'all, what's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start. Due to the coronavirus, the following show is being produced and broadcast by the Yolokali youth from their homes. So sit back, relax at home, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. You're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from the comfort of our homes. My name is Adrian. And my name is Nine. And behind the scenes, we have the amazing What's Up team. So today's show um, is going to be all about activism. So that's why the whole entire What's Up team was part of our production. Um, so for today's show, we're going to be highlighting the voices of young activists in Chicago in particularly. Um, some of our guests will be young activists who have been on the front lines, especially right now during 2020, which we're in a really important time um, living through history, of course. Um, and some of them are artists, while others do work along local organizations such as Chicago Freedom Schools, Chicago Forte Youth Group, and Gage Park Latinx Council. So definitely stay tuned to hear these amazing interviews we have put together for you all. Um, but before we dive into listening to our guest, um, I think we should definitely, it's only right that we talk about activism amongst ourselves as a What's Up team. Um, and with us for this conversation, we have Cynthia and Cecilia joining us. Hello, y'all. Hey. So I want to start off by asking you all, um, what is activism to you? Whoever wants to go first is fine. Cynthia, you want to go ahead? Sure. Um, I don't think I have like the right definition for activism, but um, I think for me, it's talking about issues that are important to you um, and really being vocal about the changes that you would like to see with those issues. Yeah, I think for me, activism has always been about just being an advocate for something, you know, whether that be political advocacy or social justice, um, criminal justice, I think those are a good couple of topics or subjects I'm really just engaged in. And I'm really motivated to see and be about the ongoing changes that are on, you know, within like those, I should say like fields. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is for me. For me, I think when I think of activism, it's someone who's actively out there, um, you know, doing something. But that's about the best definition I would have of it. Um, You know, someone who's out there fighting for what they believe in. Right. I agree. Um, Even like the beauty in the word itself um, has act in it. So it's about, you know, acting and um, yeah, I think that activism for me, it's definitely acting in unity. Um, because activism is um, something that is definitely done in a group and unites people 
um you can do activism as an individual but at the end of the day like this is um it's for a bigger cause bigger than like ourselves so i i do definitely think that it's you know being considerate and moving together um do you all consider yourselves activists um maybe we could start off with adrian <laughs> yeah i wouldn't necessarily say so i don't know i don't think compared to other teens or people who are activists I feel like I wouldn't be an activist. I don't feel like I'm really out there. You know, like I, I do talk, I'd consider myself more of an advocate rather than an activist. Cause I don't really go out there. I don't go to like the marches a lot of times, but I, I do like speaking out about, you know, those kinds of things, whether it's amongst my friends or with other people um, discussing these sorts of topics. What about you, Ceci? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, I think, I recall starting at a way younger age, um, maybe not being as advocate about it, like verbal about it, uh, but following my mom into uh, marches, protests, rallies. Uh, I remember like ICER marches that we would do. So for, you know, anti-deportation and, you know, to speak up for undocumented people. That is like, those are like some of the few causes, or pro, uh, marches, I should say, that I remember going to. That was the first cause I remember. Um, so I was probably around, I would say, seven or nine years old. And I don't know, she just served us my inspiration ever since. And she was always very active. So I think I just really absorbed her energy as well. And now I really am just an advocate myself i go to my own protests uh as well like on my own i should say i invite other people i'm really i'm really engaged and i just like that i like that charge of energy and like you said i like working in unity there's always a bigger cause bigger than everybody like you said and we just should strive for what we're passionate about yeah definitely that's interesting i want to ask you since you mentioned that that um you were familiar with like activism work at a young age. How would you say that um, the transition from seeing it as a younger um, person to like where you're at now as a young adult, like how do you think it has changed for you? I would say I've become more informed uh, looking at it, you know, in a more, I guess, calculated way, <laughs> um, like being more informed about it, just like overall information. But on a more personal level, I would say I've become more emotionally invested in it as well. I remember seeing a lot of people who would, you know, take a turn and speak, you know, at these rallies. They would just get very emotional. They would maybe shed some tears and or just you could just hear the crack, the pain in their voices. And I think maybe... When I was a child, I wasn't as emotional about things. I remember being upset about them. But now it's like I became so much more empathetic. I think it was just a part of me growing up. Uh, sympathetic, I should say, sorry. Um, but I just, now I've lived through so many more things. And I've seen, I've had encounters, you know, I've been, you know, personally asked, you know, what my legal status was. So just, you know, going through all those experiences, you know, as I grew up, I definitely would say I'm a lot more aware of it, you know, uh, mentally and emotionally. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Cynthia, do you consider yourself an activist? 
I don't know. I wouldn't say so. I think I agree a lot with Adrian about being an advocate. Um, I am very vocal about what I believe in and, you know, what I believe is right in my eyes. Um, everyone has different opinions. But, for example, you know, the past couple months, um, people going to protest and all of this, like, I haven't been involved in that. I have spoken out about the issues, but haven't actually, like, gone out. Um still very scared of the pandemic um but you know i think it's good that although i know i'm not out there i'm still using my platform whether you know i have five people or a hundred people that see my things on social media um you know i feel like at least i'm speaking about it and at least people are aware um you know and if they don't find out about something through the news then they will through social media and if i can kind of be that person to inform them about it or at least share something that can spark someone's interest in the topic then you know I feel like I kind of did something yeah I, I definitely understand that and I feel like um you know we are definitely still going through this pandemic and it's valid to feel like fearful to you know be out physically but um how you mentioned like Right now, we're also in a time where activism looks many different ways. It's not necessarily just um, doing a protest or going to a protest um, because, you know, if you attend a protest and come back home and still not educate yourself and try to expand further than just attending a protest, then, you know, it's kind of an unbalanced. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to comment that that's totally valid. Um, and yeah, and particularly for me, um, I don't know, when we had this conversation a while ago amongst us, I remember um, it really had me thinking like we we do quite a lot of, um, not a lot, but we, we enjoy doing work in our community um, and, you know, highlighting voices and things that are important to us. And um, we're definitely active and we don't consider ourselves activists. So that's that's interesting. Um, and yeah, I think I I don't consider myself one only because how kind of like Adrian mentioned, like I see other people doing a little bit more or just way more. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm nowhere near that. I'm just, you know, doing like what feels right. And, and also commenting on Ceci, um, like just growing up on certain experiences, like made me understand, like some things are just not right. And it's like, I cannot just like go on about my day to not talk about them or not feel um, certain feelings about those things, you know? So I think it's like a mix of of both things, but like really, really looking at the bigger picture, I think we are all activists in our own ways, whether it's like even correcting your own behavior, like you're acting towards like a better self, you know, that's going to influence other people around you as well. Um, so that's my perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think our, sorry, I think our conversation um, before, like when the topic of the show came up was very interesting I did think about it a lot often because I was like am I an activist like I remember asking my sister like sister do you think <laughs> um but yeah like you said I feel like YOLO does do a lot of you know the work that is done is allowed a lot it has a lot to do with speaking out and informing so like wouldn't that make us activists <laughs> We're so like in tune with the environment that it doesn't even feel like it because we enjoy it so much. And I think that's the beauty of it. And uh, and also like a friendly reminder that like it's ongoing work, you know, like um, it's okay to get overwhelmed, but it's also important to 
take some breathers and like like just make sure that we stay healthy because like we need this energy to stay consistent and um yeah we have to take care of each other <laughs> you got to learn to recharge after all that work yeah i honestly think all of you guys are really like verbal and i feel like i've had that same like i guess perspective before or mentality where it's like am i doing enough I don't know if I am. And then just comparing myself maybe to other people who may have been more active. Uh, but like you said, it's like sometimes it just becomes like very enjoyable. Sometimes you just go with the flow and you're just naturally drawn to it that it doesn't feel like, you know, as maybe big as other people may portray it who don't, uh, who aren't activists or advocates. Uh, but I would say that you know, as long as you are about a cause and it doesn't have to be every day or, you know, like on a daily basis, I should say. Uh, but over the span of time, I think if you've become part of that change, that's what counts. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah. <laughs> well, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and start off with our guest. Um, I'm so excited, you know, to hear all of your perspectives. And we definitely um, have amazing guests also as part of our show. So let's go ahead and start with, um, we have an interview with the Gage Park Latinx Council. And they are a group of young, dedicated individuals who strive to provide the Gage Park community with free art programs that are designed to engage youth in learning and community building with a focus on highlighting Latinx culture and celebrating creativity. So let's go ahead and listen to that interview. My name is Samantha Martinez. I am the outreach coordinator at GPLXC. So I help create flyers. Um, usually I'm the one that sends text messages or emails to our community list about upcoming events or opportunities. I'm also the one that has been in charge of securing weekly grocery box deliveries and reaching out to volunteers to help distribute them. Um, this week was a launch of Pequeños Soñadores, which is our virtual youth art club. So I have also been helping Katia film videos for that, organize the art bags that will go out every week to 40 Youth Engage Park. And I've also been helping secure volunteers that help distribute those art bags and then translating the art lessons to Spanish. But the goals overall of GPLXC, we would say, are to care for our community, to increase access to resources, education, youth programming, and also begin developing trust among our community so that we're able to redefine what community looks like through action. And my name is Katia Martinez. As program coordinator, I plan future youth programs. Um, I also send emails and like the person that contacts the parents. And right now, as Samantha had already mentioned, we just launched our annual youth art club, Pequeños Soñadores. So I am in charge of editing the art tutorials for each week, ordering supplies, assembling the art bags for the youth, um, and helping also with deliveries. So it definitely takes a lot of time, um, but we really want to provide uh, quality programming uh, for our youth. So we were 21 years old. Uh, we were completing our undergrad education. Um, and we realized that we always had to get out of our neighborhood to attend workshops. Um, and that also the community of Gage Park did not have a community center or any spaces for youth to connect and network. So we began to post flyers around our community, informing them of a community meetup. And there is where we met Antonio Santos, our director. Uh, we talked, we expressed similar concerns in Gage Park, and we stayed in touch. 
And then Antonio asked um, if we wanted to find the Gage Park Latinx Council in 2018. So we did not have a budget at that moment, nor a physical space. And we did not really know what organizing looked like, but we knew we wanted to put um, our words and ideas into action. And there is where we began. Just when COVID um, was beginning to be announced, around April, we launched the mutual aid fundraiser for um, undocumented uh, families living in Southwest side communities. And so we hadn't had prior experience on how to do fundraising before, but we launched it through GoFundMe. And um, within like a week, we had raised over $20,000. As of now, we've raised over $65,000, which has been able to financially assist more than 100 undocumented families. And so we were also very mindful of how we were going to structure the application. We knew that like our community members are already going through a hard time because of COVID. We didn't want to add like ID um, like requirements or any type of like requirements that you see in other like financial assistance pages. And so our application was very brief. We didn't ask for any types of documentation, especially because this was more toward um, families who are undocumented. And so since then, we've been able to financially assist more than 100 families with $500 checks. Some of the other things that we've done is also distributing PPE in our community. So for example, we've given out face masks, hand sanitizers, um, hygiene products. We've also been able to uh, distribute diapers through doing like pop-ups in our community. And we also were able to get in contact with working bikes to be able to distribute bikes around um, our community to youth and also to high school grads from Gage Park in order for them to be able to enjoy the summer in a more sustainable way. And we know that many youth were at home and they were having a hard time just being at home, not really having much to do at home. So that's why we also um, came up with the idea to do our annual youth art club, but do it virtual this time. So youth could be engaged at home. I definitely would say that it is definitely inspiring to see so many youth leading protests, um, leading demonstrations in Chicago, and also leading like efforts. So even though like our organization um, has gone to protest um, and has um, helped co uh, lead a protest here in Gage Park, um, our organization has been more, even more inspired to kind of like do pop-ups in our community. So we know that um, activism, it's just, it's not one way, like there's various ways in which we can do activism. And so while some of our team members are going out to protest, other team members are staying to volunteer to help with their pop-up pantries, which have helped distribute like food to a lot of our community members. Um, to help with like the art programming that we're doing, but all of it has been inspiring because I think that all of it connects since it has a similar goal, like the the vision, right, is to create a, a more just world, a more inclusive world, a world that takes into account the different backgrounds that um, make the world what it is. And so I think that definitely seeing the BLM protest has been inspiring, has been motivational for our work. And we've learned so much from youth protesters and from youth leading these demonstrations in Chicago. Since March, we started distributing um, grocery boxes in our community. So our community, apart from uh, the zip code being one of the most affected by COVID, there's also a lot of food insecurity. Uh, many of our community members don't have uh, a job because they lost it due to COVID, or many of our community members have been infected. And so they've been staying at home, which also caused them to lose jobs and to um, not have a financial safety net. 
And so we've been able to distribute over 1,000 grocery boxes since March to our community members. Um, we do different pop-ups. As of now, we've been doing a consistent pop-up during these past four weeks. We also have been distributing PPE uh, to our community. And when our community members reach out to us and ask us like, oh, do you know of food pantries happening around the community? Or do you know of any resources uh, when it comes to mental health services that are bilingual? We try our best to connect them with those resources to let them know what, what other type of food pantries are out there or what other opportunities for financial assistance are out there. Our mutual aid has obviously been able to financially assist over 100 families from the Southwest side during these hard times. For me, leadership and activism are rooted in care. So from a young age, I saw many things were missing um, in our community. And at the time, I did not feel like I could make a difference or that I had any power to do something about it. But I do not want other youth to feel that way. Um, I want you to know that they matter and that they can create change. And so because activism is not one-sided as well, there are various ways in which movements can go about and go forward. Um, whether it is through art, poetry, teaching, protesting, mutual aid work, the list just goes on. Um, and for us, leadership and activism are just rooted in community and in becoming what we needed, right, when we were younger. I think like this has been hard too, just because um, again, like activism, like there are various ways in which people can um, can do activism. But I think like what makes it really hard is just not being able to be physically present with others. So for example, like organization would do meetups, like community meetups, not only for um, community members who are interested in joining our work, but also for like our volunteers to like get to know them, get to know where they're coming from and what their visions are for Gage Park. And so like not being able to do that anymore because of COVID, like it feels like weird a little bit. Like I, I'm also a very like hugging person. So like it feels weird to not be able to hug my friends and like to, to just be physically with other families and community members. But I think it's also been really awesome to see how people have been organizing remotely. Like I've seen so many teach-ins happening like through Zoom, but being posted on Facebook, which makes it more accessible for people to like educate themselves and know about what's happening, not only in Chicago, but around the country and around the world. I've also seen like youth programming that's gone virtual. Like I know different organizations are working on that. The sad thing though, is that not all youth and not all families have access to internet and to computers. I really wish GPLXE had like the capacity to do more about that, you know, but I think like that's also one of the unfortunate parts of things going remote that not everyone's being included and not everyone's being counted for. Um, but it's also been great to see how there's so many protests happening around Chicago, around the world. I've also seen that there's car caravans, like in order to kind of like respect the COVID safety guidelines, people staying in cars, but doing physical demonstrations in cars. I think that's also really awesome to see. And I've also been seeing a lot of pop-ups happening in the Southwest side, whether it's giving out face masks, whether it's giving out hand sanitizers or food, like it's great to see that people are still mobilizing even amidst all the chaos. So one of our biggest obstacles um, at the beginning was definitely budget and finding spaces to do our programming. The first year um, since we were doing majority of our programming at our Gage Park Library. Um, so we were not having a lot of people attend always the events. Um, and then we were also putting in our own money since we were just starting um, as an organization. But that now that our organization has grown and like flourished, we know that we need a physical space that is accessible. And in a way, we have already kind of like outrun our community library. 
So we are working to make the GPLXE Center a reality uh, for this upcoming year. Um, and we're putting a lot of energy into that. And then individually, uh, my biggest obstacle has being able to trust myself, my voice, and this organizing process. Um, as I said before, I didn't really know a lot about organizing or consider myself an organizer or knew exactly what that looked like. So there were definitely moments where I doubted myself, my voice, my ideas for um, the future programs that we were having. But as I reflected and I'm deconstructing those ideas, it has been very liberating to see how much we are growing and I am growing within GPLXC. I truly believe that growth is part of the organizing process. I would agree with Kathy. Like I, I agree that like for GPLXE, it definitely has been space and budget. Um, but apart from that, like our team is only made up of three as of now, like they are doing more, most of the work. We obviously have volunteers and community members involved, but it's three of us that are kind of leading the work. And it can definitely be a little bit overwhelming sometimes because I feel like we always want to do more or we always want to like do something else that we see is missing. But again, like it's about just trusting the process, like trusting our voices, trusting our visions of transformation. Like it has definitely been liberating to be, to get to a level where you can trust your voice and where you can use it for, for change. And that's something that I used to struggle individually before, but throughout my experience at GPLXC, I feel like I've been able to grow and kind of like learn how to let go of those like colonized perspectives of myself and my place in the world. And now I'm at a point where I'm becoming more confident with my voice and I'm trusting it. And I'm definitely putting now my, my words into action, which has been also very liberating. I think when we think of activism and doing something for change, there's not one specific way to do it. People have different capacities and like some people can take that leadership on when it comes to like signing petitions and it takes a lot. It requires a lot of outreaching, but I think it can be definitely very powerful in um, mobilizing like remotely, I guess, um, people to care about something because petitions like obviously tell the story and like they emphasize why something needs to change. And so I think it's really important and powerful. Um, and then obviously there's, there's various capacities in which people can move movements forward, but I definitely would say that signing petitions is a big one because it gets people to notice and it makes you feel good, right? When you sign something and you're like, hey, like I'm for this and I support this. So I think it can definitely change things. I think it's important for you to reach out to the organizations they are interested in like getting involved with or working with. Um, I know that at GPLXC, we are extremely thankful for the youth volunteers who have reached out uh, because not only are they showing up, but we are able to learn from them as well, learn their visions, learn what they care about. So I think that being able to get involved with organizations is about not only just getting involved, but like building community with one another. And I would also say that like youth, apart from like youth having to get directly involved with orgs, like I also feel like youth should be more trusted. Like I feel like they should be trusted to lead. Um, and I think that there is always like that gap that exists that people don't always trust you to lead a movement or to lead protests or, or demonstrations. But I think that if, if youth are allowed and just given like the tools and the support, you know, but like they're the ones that are able to like set their the rules and, and do the directions of, of their work. Like I think I like I just think the world would be would be much like a better place to live <laughs> in um, because they know their experiences best. They know their voices best. And so I think like if more people were to trust you, like so much more change could come forward from that. I would say to you that youth, you matter. 
and youth are worthy of love, they're worthy of care, they're worthy of respect. And one thing that really helped me empower myself as I grew up was realizing that when it comes to my daily experience, I know my life best, like I know my life experience best. And I think a lot of the times people try to tell youth how to like how to live, how to grow up, you know, like what to do. And I think once you they're able to realize that they're the experts when it comes to their life experiences, it's really important because it helps like shape the way that we see ourselves in the world. And it definitely helped me growing up see myself in the world um, as much more than what I initially was giving myself credit for. And that really helped motivate me to use my voice and put my ideas into action. Again, we can learn so much from youth and they could lead so much if adults weren't always just telling them what to do and how to live. Beautifully said. I would also finish off by just saying uh, to you to be gentle with themselves. Sometimes we put a lot of expectations on youth. Um, and so just be gentle through the process. Even if you're just beginning organizing work, you know, be gentle with yourself. Reaffirm um, your, your words, your, your idea, your voice. And overall, you matter. Hello, we are Yola Kali. What's up? The Brave Space Alliance is the first Black-led, trans-led, LGBTQ plus center located on the south side of Chicago. They have created and provided resources, programming, and services for LGBTQ plus individuals on the south and west sides of Chicago. They have done for the community with turning their mission statement into headlines in these months alone is remarkable. Brave Space Alliance opens crisis pantry for Southside LGBTQIA residents. Brave Space Alliance has helped thousands through a pandemic. Their new Southside headquarters will help them serve even more. Brave Space Alliance in Hyde Park is providing services to protesters amid ongoing marches against police brutality. They do so much. Let us show some love and support. Currently, it is one of the few safe space locations where they provide social services, advocacy networks, and fill-in-the-gap organizing, and also services, resources to trans and gender nonconforming people. For more information on how to support Brave Space Alliance, you can visit bravespacealliance.org slash donate. Hello everyone to the population of Chicago and to the listeners tuning in to the airwaves. Do you feel bored staying at home, but want to be notified on what's going around in Chicago? Well, we have good news for you. ChicagoReader.com is a bi-weekly newspaper where you can fill your lives with news, events, art, music, and of course, some of the best food in Chicago. So if you want to check out new places, delicious local foods, and wonderful news and events created by the amazing people in Chicago, Chicago Reader is here. For more details on the Reader, See chicagoreader.com and for ways to support, see chicagoreader.com slash support. Hello, you are listening to WLPN, LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. And this is What's Up with our activism show. Um, and, you know, we're it's just a little refresher that today we are focusing on activism from all over the city. And previously, before um, that small break, we were we heard an interview with the Gage Park Latinx Council. And as we mentioned in the beginning, we have more guests. So definitely keep listening. So next, we'd actually like to present um, Stefan Cuevas Casehuano. And he is a youth logistics organizer at the Chicago Freedom Schools. 
and they've been with the Chicago Freedom Schools since 2011, and they are also museum educator. And their work centers a lot around incorporating activism within social justice. Um, and that was actually an interview between uh, me and Nine, and that was definitely um, a good interview. I don't know, I, th I thought it went well, and he definitely did uh, educate us a little bit. Yeah, uh, the conversation was amazing. The The energy was great, and they definitely had great insights on the work that they do and the people that they are around as well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and listen to their interview. Um, up next. My name is Stefan Cuevas Caiseguano. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I'm the youth logistics organizer at the Chicago Freedom School. Um, I've been with the Chicago Freedom School since 2011, 2012, um, but my family has been in the Chicago Freedom School since its founding in 2007. So there's sort of like an intergenerational uh, legacy that's at the Chicago Freedom School that we're trying to continue the work um, and all the beautiful work that they're doing. Um, I'm also a museum educator as my full-time job and try to incorporate a lot of my activism in like uh views in social justice within that work as well and what is your role in chicago freedom schools and how yeah well you told me that you've been with them since 2011 2012 mm -hmm. um so what is your role with them so uh at first i when i was introduced in 20 uh 2011 2012 it was the freedom fellowship which is a fellowship that happens in the summer uh a few weeks out of the in the summer uh that sort of breaks down the different systems of oppression and like institutional racism, uh, the school to prison pipeline, it teaches you all of that. Some things that you wouldn't learn in school and traditional, like traditional classrooms um, in history that is often whitewashed. So they teach about that. And then after that, they give you tools on how to uh, uh, change something within your community as well. So uh, a call to action, if you will. So uh, you're broken up into cohorts um and you're given uh tools on like what it is you want to change within your community or a different community within the city um and that's an action that you can take with them with the resources freedom school can provide and adult allies can provide as well um and so that was sort of my introduction to it right now i'm the youth logistics organizer which is some a role that was very recently created in june as a response to all of the action and organizing uh, that has been going on during like the COVID pandemic time. So essentially what my role is, is I have to gather resources. I'm on the front lines, um, like providing uh, like waters, uh, masks, hand sanitizers, snacks, um, stuff like that. But the sort of behind the scenes kind of stuff is that I have to get all these resources uh, beforehand before folks can pass them out and such. What sparked your interest in particular that you're like, yes, this is what I also want to do? Uh, yeah, so uh, my family has always been involved in activism. Uh, my mother uh, was undocumented. She's currently a resident. It took a very long time as the uh, citizenship process often takes decades. So it did take her decades. Uh, but she was undocumented and so um, was often at like rallies, at marches, protests, fighting for like uh, undocumented rights, uh, make for, for, for access and resources for, for folks who are undocumented. 
so that was sort of, so I've been doing, so she's been introducing me to that as like from a very young age. Um, also identities play a big role in that. Uh, I see myself as queer, trans, and also uh, Latinx. So these are all things that like uh, make it a little difficult for me to navigate through life. Um, so there are certain things that I don't have access to, certain resources I don't have access to, and I feel like uh, fighting for them is the only thing that I can do in order to get those things, you know? And so Chicago Freedom School um, as a place with a long history and in, in rooted in educating and providing resources for young people um, is something that drew me to it. And I really just love that the work that they're doing and the work that I do when I'm with them as well. What would you say it is to be active and present in social movements? So people have different uh, restrictions. People have different abilities. There are folks who can't um, like go out to protest, people who can't uh, financially donate to these different uh, GoFundMes and movements uh, and organizations. Uh, so there are different ways people can participate. Uh, so folks who I've seen like can't go to protests or rallies or and, or volunteer or anything like that. We've been seeing a lot of them have been donating like waters, masks, uh, like clothes, uh, food, stuff like that. And that is just a big, as big a part of the movement as it is uh, being out there on the front lines, because without those resources, we wouldn't be able to do our, our jobs being out there. Um, so I would say there's like different roles for different individuals who have different abilities and different resources to access to that. Um, but I would say like, yeah, my role in like being active during these movements is gathering these resources um, and then sort of um, being the present in like the front lines during uh, all of these different big movements and actions, uh, whether it's like passing stuff out or creating a barricade to block people off, the main organizers off from the police. So there's different roles when it comes to actions and it really is what you need to do. Um, yeah, because I've been like, uh, you know, like, does anyone want snacks or can like, uh, or I wash people's eyes out after they've been pepper sprayed. So your role definitely changes when you're, uh, when it gets real. You mentioned that there has been occasions where you help out people who have been pepper sprayed. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is your feeling on that? Since like, this is something that has to be done where you have to be an ally to help people who are getting hurt during mm -hmm on these movements? So the instance I'm sort of talking about when when the most people were pepper sprayed, most recently was when um, the Black Indigenous rally, when the folks and organizers tried to take down the Columbus statue, right? And that was the biggest instance of people who were pepper sprayed. I inhaled some of the pepper spray. I got some on my arm. Uh, so I got off pretty lucky, but there were people who were pepper sprayed directly into their into their eyes, into their faces. And I felt like it was unnecessary, the amount of violence that the police were using against people, um, right? And I felt like I'm, I'm not a trained medic, it's usually trained medics who are washing out people's eyes and helping people, but the medics were so busy because so many people had been pepper sprayed directly that there, that there wasn't enough of them, 
right? And so there were people, like the people who were walking around who had water bottles, me like having, like because like I pass out resources, I had like about 15 water bottles I was handing out um, and had myself um, that I needed to wash out the eyes of people who had been pepper sprayed, right? And that I felt like that wasn't, while like that's usually a role reserved for medics because there wasn't enough of them uh, because there were so many people who had been pepper sprayed that I needed to sort of, and other people as well, needed to wash out the eyes of people who had been pepper sprayed, right? And so like, it, and that shouldn't have ever been a thing as well. Like we anticipated it since uh, we were trying to take down a statue that's so beloved by the police and uh, white communities, right? Um, and so this was something that was expected, but it was sort of elevated to a level we had uh, not anticipated. So. People say that in order to understand what is happening right now in the present, you need to understand what happened in the past. I don't know if you would agree with that. I, I feel like that's definitely true because the systems that they were fighting, uh, Black, Indigenous, queer, uh, the systems that those folks uh, who are in like marginalized communities, those systems that were in place that they were fighting, they still exist today, right? So they, the fight still continues. Uh, it's still present today. We see it like within the police, we see it within our schools. We see it with the way um, the funding is distributed throughout our city. We see it uh, with like uh, how different communities are sort of segregated based on like property tax and stuff like that. Um, so these systems still exist. So um, yeah, definitely understanding where it is that they come from and what steps uh, have been taken in order to combat these systems is something that is really important. And um, we can't forget those who like uh, sort of trailblazed and led the path in order to, for us to get to this point, right? Because the work has been, been uh, getting done for decades and decades, like long before any of, like, any of us here were even born, this work was being done but these systems are still in place, right? These are old, old systems. So that's definitely an accurate statement. So based on that, do you think it's an important era where it's required for people to educate themselves on these topics? I do, yeah, especially now that we have access to so much information, right? Google is free. I feel like that's my favorite statement. Right now, Google is free um, because we have access to so many resources uh, and so many people are writing about like uh, the systems that are in place, the movements that have taken place um, and that has that is accessible to the public, right? I feel like people should educate themselves instead of having to rely on black, brown, uh, trans and queer folks uh, and indigenous folks to educate them, right? I feel like we are already doing so much of the work in order to combat these systems that we shouldn't really have to extend our labor in educating folks uh, who want to keep these systems alive, you know? And how do you think that we as youth can learn and unlearn certain behaviors to more it, accommodate to people? It's tough because um, it's really difficult to learn a lot of behaviors that have been instilled in you since birth, that have been instilled in your parents, your grandparents, right? Um, but it's it's important to do, uh, especially 
uh, I can only speak on the Latinx community, but there's a large amount of anti-Blackness within the Latinx community. Uh, and despite my mother uh, being sort of like all about like uh, undocumented rights and immigrant rights, there's still like a sense of anti-Blackness uh, that is still within her. Um, and I think it's ingrained in a lot of the Latinx community. Um, and so uh, having to unlearn that is very difficult, especially since uh, it's something that has been here for a very, very long time, but it's important work. And it's not something where you just take one class and you're done with it. It's constant work. You need to constantly check yourself, watch the things you say, uh, watch sort of like uh, sort of uh, your thoughts, check your thoughts, check your actions, uh, check who uh, you're supporting, who you're not supporting, right? Um, going back to, you know, staying conscious and like learning and unlearning, um, how does activism manifest in your life? Would you say it's a part of you that always stays with you? I think it does um, mostly because um, activism is sort of started because uh, we are not free. There are things that we don't have access to, there are resources we don't have, and that's ever present in your in people's lives. So even when I'm done with like, uh, like there's a big rally or a protest that happens and I'm like going home, right? I still see police out here, or, like I still see uh, police like stopping like groups of like young men and it's still something that we can't escape, right? Which is why activism and uh, organizing is so necessary because we wanna change the very foundation of like how we navigate through life with these oppressors still very active within our life. So. Um, it's still very uh, prominent in there. And yeah, once once this is all sort of torn, once these systems are all sort of torn down and once our uh, oppressors cease to exist, I think that's when we can sort of um, forego the need for like activism. And so like when we are truly free, well, we don't really need it because we're already at peace, we're, we're already liberated. But yeah, it also like finds its way into my work. I work at a museum uh, and we do a lot of um, like uh, history that hasn't been talked about, right? History, especially in historical places and like academic places have often been whitewashed. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing is trying to uh, find more like black and brown voices, more queer trans voices and the history that has often not been recorded because it wasn't deemed as important, right? And that in itself is a form of resistance uh, because this is history that they did not want us to uh, see. This is history that they told us was not important. And so uncovering it and talking about it is also an act of resistance because uh, we are telling the stories of people who were told uh, were not important, right? And so that is radical in itself. You know, sometimes activism and being out there, especially during this time where a lot of developments are happening, can take a, you know, can take a pretty big toll so how are you taking care of your mental health and how do you go about with self-care after you feel burnt out? It's rough because there's days, there's like weeks where there's like an action today, an action in the afternoon, and there's one at night, right? And then there's one the next day. So there'll be weeks where I'm in an action every single day, right? And it can, it can burn, it can burn you out. Right. So even during those rough days, you have to find little moments for yourself like, oh, I packed myself a snack I really like or drink some water. 
um, go on a walk, listen to a song you really like. And for days that I'm not at like rallies or protests or at, in a meeting or anything like that, um, I really like hanging out with my partner. They're also doing a lot of uh, work. They're actually going to be a marshal at the upcoming event called Solidarity Street, which is sort of uh, promoting the uh, ending of police contracts within a few universities in the Chicago area, right? And so, um, yeah, we just like are very much like, let's eat uh, some good food. Let's watch some trashy reality TV sort of to like uh, push us away from all of that, right? Something nice that, you know, we can both enjoy. So the work that Chicago Freedom Schools has done in the past during um, COVID has been amazing. Um, and it hasn't stopped because of COVID, right? Um, what would you say are some of the things that um, Chicago Freedom Schools has accomplished during this pandemic since, you know, we're still going through it? Um, how mm -hmm. would you say that everything is running right now? I think because of uh, our our work during COVID that our name is really getting out there, right? Chicago Freedom School has existed since 2007. Uh, in the Chicago area, at least. But we haven't been getting a lot of like media traction up until now, especially what was happening on May 30th, uh, when the major protests after the murder of George Floyd, there was massive protests in down the downtown area. And Chicago Freedom School was a space that was a safe space for protesters to come since the city had shut down CTA, since the city had brought up bridges and young people were trapped in the city. So I feel like them opening their space during this uh, charge time, during this historical moment, uh, was something that really sort of boosted our name, bumped our name, like promote our name out into a lot of the work that's being done by other amazing organizations as well. So up until recently, we've been getting like a good amount of donations. People have been like tweeting about us, have been like adding us uh, on Instagram. So we've been getting a lot of recognition these days. And I, I, I know this is like public knowledge at this point, but um, like we had won a lawsuit against the city because they had wrongfully given us a cease and desist uh, for preparing commercially prepared pizzas. So the, the, the police came in and was like, you're preparing food uh, without a license, but this was like a box of pizza, you know? And so the, the Chicago Freedom School had won that lawsuit against the city. Um, and I think that also boosted our name a lot uh, in regards to um, the city often targeting organizations that are led by young black and brown youth. And so like that really boosted our name and that's sort of an accomplishment that we have as well. Uh, we had a Juneteenth event that we hosted in front of DuSable. Um, we uh, are working with a few organize, uh, organ, uh, organizations and like creating actions and movements. Uh, so there's a lot that we're doing right now along with the Freedom Fellowship that we have been doing since 2007 and it's still going. So we're doing a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. How do you stay organized? Where do you decide that, you know, the effort needs to go here and, you know, the, the division of like splitting the group and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. So it's usually uh, our youth organizers, which is what I'm uh, a little group a part of it. Um, and so as, you know, youth logistic organizer, we also have a direct action organizer and a digital media organizer as well. So when it comes to like what actions we go to, it's usually the three of us plus the executive di director uh, who decides uh, 
where we want to go, what resources, where resources need to be allocated, like where our time needs to be spent. And so that's usually how we decide where where we go when it comes to like action based. During these protests, we've heard a lot about, you know, the police becoming aggressive. But what has been the most common type of aggression type of aggression towards uh, youth activists? I think the most common type of thing against youth activists from what of like actions from what I've seen is trying to break these uh, groups apart, right? So police are trained to sort of like bite off like these massive groups that are together that have come to ask for freedom, right? The police will strategically try and cut them in half and then cut those in half and cut those in half in order to get young people alone so that they can arrest them. Mm. And I feel like that's a strategy, strategy that we've been seeing uh, most often. Uh, they're putting cameras in place. They're um, they're very much about like surveillance, and so that's something that we've been seeing a lot of young people facing, is that we they try and find them alone, like within like the protests and groups and stuff like that, and trying to arrest these folks. But like the arresting methods, people who are there, um, it block their they use their bodies to like block them with between the person who's being, the young person who's being arrested and the police as well. So that's something that we are also doing to combat uh, a lot of these strategies that the police think that they're like so slick in. All this happens, the youth activists, you know, still go on ahead. And it seems like they do put in a lot of effort, but what would you like to tell our older generations in relation to the efforts that young people are pushing? I feel like um, activism is different than it was um, 20, 30 years ago, right? The methods that we're using, especially uh, bikes, bikes, bike marshals are becoming very new. There are different strategies that are being used. Um, and it's the same thing that is sort of being preached, but in like a different uh, way, right? I feel like um, older generations uh, are sort of uh, admonishing like younger generations for being violent, for being rowdy. Uh, a lot of the times the protests sometimes aren't protests. Sometimes they're just places where we're occupying space and we're eating pizza and we're playing music. And I feel like sometimes the older generation is like, you need to be serious. You need to take this seriously. But black and brown joy is also an act of resistance. That's why like, I feel like a lot of like, parties get shut down a lot of block parties right it's often like white neighbors calling the police on like uh, black and brown folks who have their music a little too loud celebration and joy is also seen as an act of resistance and it doesn't always need to be serious all the time even though these are you know yeah these are serious moments and um but it doesn't need to be like yeah it doesn't need to be serious all the time joy and happiness can exist as a form of resistance and a form of uh uh, radical activism. Any tips for people or young people who are not currently active in any movement? How would mm -hmm. you advise them to get involved or just even take some interest in what's going on? So a lot of the organizations that are active right now, especially with the young people who are organizing, they often have like youth programs, right? And that's how these young organizers got started. That's definitely how I got started. And so definitely taking an interest in like 
what youth programs they have to offer, what uh, opportunities these organizations can offer. And also just like social media is playing a big role. It's a massive and very useful tool to use as well for passing information along. Uh, I'm seeing like a lot of Instagram posts that are like, um, they're like, here's know your rights. Here's who to donate to. Here's who not to donate to. Um, here's what you need to know about this movement. Young people can do a lot. They can create art, they can create uh, music, they, they can create um, sort of awareness posts. They can, um, you know, look into their uh, local youth organizing. Cause I, like I said, a lot of these organizations, they do have youth programs, which is how these young activists even got involved. So they do have programs for young people. Uh, so looking at if they uh, qualify for those programs. And so those are some of the things that folks can do. Also just becoming educated, learning about the history of these movements, le learning about what's going on, what tactics are being used, and sort of the similarities of like the movements that have happened in the past and what the movement looks like right now, right? So also educating yourself is something that can be really useful as well. What is the message that you want to give to people to inspire them? Um, to take part in problems that are affecting them um, of any generation. As long as these systems are in place, uh, we won't be free, we won't be liberated. And even uh, the fight can even start at home with your own family members and sort of unlearning a lot of the things that have been uh, taught to you. And that can even be a little scarier than having to face like a police officer is having to deal with your own family and teaching them things that they might not approve of. I think that, yeah, it begins, it, it begins at home. You can even start there. It begins at home and educating your family, educating your friends, like being with them in that education process as well is something that is something super useful. Is there anything you would like to add before we close up? No, but I really love the work that uh, you all do. You all are such amazing young people. And you're also doing like, like even interviewing, interviewing, creating art is something so radical and so beautiful. And I really love the work that you all do. Hey, Queener King, are you 18 and a citizen of the United States of America? If so, then listen up. You are eligible to vote, and voting is important because as of now, there are two potential candidates running for president. It is important to vote for a good president because they served in office for four years. Yes, four years. It might not sound like a lot, but it is. So many changes can be made in four years. So even if you can or cannot vote, we need to do our research to see what policies the potential candidates support or don't support. Once you have decided which candidate fits your ideal president, then you are going to want to register to vote if you are 18. But if you are not 18 and have done your research, share to other people why a certain potential candidate is your top tier choice. To get more information on how to register to vote.gov. Happy voting! Are you tired of going to these big chain supermarkets? Do you want to go where somewhere fresh and local? Well, we have something new for you. Check out Community of the Future. Community of the Future is a licensed farmer's market and food distribution program located in Bridgeport's Mars Community Brewery. The market opens every Sunday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The market lets you interact with local business around you and you can meet artists and designers. 
You can sign up with their joint form. For more information, go to communityofthefuture.org. Once again, communityofthefuture.org. Hello, everyone. You're listening to WLPN, LP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from the comfort of our homes. My name is Adrian. My name is Nine. And behind the scenes, we have the rest of the amazing WhatsApp team. So in continuation of today's show, we'll continue to focus on the voices of young activists who have been putting in this work and effort into reforming the current systems in our communities. Uh, a lot of our guests are young activists who have been on the front lines, especially right now during 2020, um, where it's an important time in history where a lot of the stuff that's wrong with our system um, is beginning to you know be picked apart by the youth in our country and trying to get change and we have yet to hear from artists including saul palo rodriguez and diego garcia who is the co-founder of the chicago fuerte youth group yes um yeah and like you mentioned we are still um in conversation about just activism in general in the city um not just in our particular neighborhood um and i am so happy to listen to the rest of the interview i the in the first hour, we had an interview with the Gage Park Latinx Council and an interview with Stefan Cuevas Casiguano. Um, and they are part of um, the Chicago Freedom Schools. And that interview was great. Um, so, yeah, let's go ahead and keep going with some of these interviews. Let's let's go next with Diego Garcia, who is an 18 year old first generation um, low income student and community organizer from the southwest side of Chicago. He co-founded the Chicago Fuerte Youth Group when he was 16 years old after the Parkland, Florida shooting. He will be attending St. Norbert College, a private Catholic liberal arts college in Wisconsin. So let's go ahead and listen to this interview. My name is Diego Garcia, and I live in Brighton Park in the southwest side of the city. Everything started two years ago when I was 16-year-old. I began or I began getting involved with gun violence prevention organizations and gun violence prevention work in my community. I realized that, you know, we were living through everyday shootings every single day and no one seemed to do anything about it. So I began, you know, mobilizing my friends, joining aldermanic campaigns, registering people to vote, getting on the streets, protesting, holding my alderman accountable if I may plug him in, Alderman Raymond Lopez. And after that, I realized that, you know, like in the beginning, I really wanted to stick to only like gun violence prevention work because it was something I was very passionate about. But I soon realized that everything that we go through in our communities, it intersects with each other because our lives as Chicano or Latinx youth is, it's just politicized. Like everything we do, our, our livelihoods are political. So I realized that, you know, like you can't organize in your community without organizing against ICE and for immigrant families. You can't you can't just organize for stricter gun laws. You also have to keep your politicians accountable so they invest in your communities because, you know, in some of the schools in my neighborhood, we have like 35, almost 40 kids in one classroom. There's no way students can learn that way. So I guess I say that to say that everything that we go through in our community intersects with each other. And that's the biggest thing that I learned in the past two years. I co-founded the Chicago Fuerte Youth Group when I was 16 years old. After the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida, I realized that, you know, the shoot, like I said, the shootings in our neighborhood were not receiving half as much 
coverage of the shooting that had happened in that community. I raised over $20,000 and I bust 50 of my friends to Washington, D.C. for the March for Our Lives. We used some of that national media coverage to shine light on the everyday shootings that we were going through in our neighborhood. And not much after did we join forces with like the brave youth at St. Sabina Church with Father Flager and just a whole bunch of other local organizations. Then in 2019, I joined Crease the Peace which is also a youth-led organization that provides a safe space to youth in the community and trains them to be leaders. That's what I've been doing since. I feel like recently I've been wanting to use like my existence as a way of like connecting different communities because you know like after the George Floyd tragedy it felt like everybody wanted to do something but no one wanted I mean no one knew what to do so I quickly reached out to my friend uh, Alicia and my friend Jalen from Good Kids Mad City the first thing we did was uh, we attended a press conference outside of the CPD headquarters to let them know that we were also going to hold them accountable because they are receiving way too much funding compared to the funding that we're receiving in our communities. CPD gets $4 million a day while we have, you know, overfilled classrooms in our neighborhood schools. We don't have free after school programs in all of our neighborhoods. And, you know, we are asking for the bare minimum to keep our youth safe. And we're not receiving that from either the mayor or the governor or anyone who is in power. So, yeah, going back to my main point, I feel like I've been wanting to connect different communities with each other, whether it's a black and brown community or, you know, adults and the younger folks, because sometimes I feel like there's a there's a disconnect between the two. And whether it's providing rides to youth who are stranded downtown because they've been literally isolated there by like the mayor, you know, for example. So after the first Black Lives Matter protest that happened uh, after the, the George Floyd murder, my friends and I went and joined thousands of other people downtown. We protested outside of the Trump Tower. We protested on Michigan Avenue. And then not much after we went on Magnificent Mile and we realized that Mayor Lightfoot had put the bridge up, right? And we were completely surrounded by police officers everywhere. It was about to be 9 p.m. You know, like we thought that we we already had a way to get home, right? It's the, the orange line uh, at the train station. But we also heard that they had shut down the train stations. I think it was like SWAT. They had like closed down certain ways to get to downtown on the highway. We we went on Twitter. You know, that's what young people in our city do best. We, we're, we're good with social media. So all of us started like tagging like the... Chicago Teachers Union, and they quickly like plugged in a lot of their teachers. Their teachers started providing us with rides. Uh, local organizers from our communities. Recently, we realized that everybody in our city is able to come together to fight for a better city, and we've seen that. How would you say that your activism has evolved since then? Since the last, was it two years? Yeah, right, 2018. Yeah, two years. I think the biggest thing that I realized is that if you really want change, you have to start from the bottom. I heard someone say, if if you want to change the world, you got to change your country. And if you want to change your country, you got to change your city. If you want to change your city, you got to change your neighborhood. And if you want to change your neighborhood, you got to start with yourself. So all this change starts from the bottom. And I think I didn't realize that when I began organizing, but now two years later, 2020, I realized that, you know, it starts with making connections with folks in the city who you don't really know or don't really connect with. And that's how we start off making a change. What 
kind of problems have you faced when you're out being an activist and how do you keep yourself safe? I've faced many different issues and conflicts being an organizer in the community, a youth organizer. I think even further, a young brown organizer in this city, whether it's, you know, not receiving the respect of adults because they think I'm too young to be out there, uh, you know, like holding adults accountable all the way to almost getting pepper sprayed and beat up by the Chicago Police Department. I personally have not had it as bad as like other black and brown organizers and indigenous organizers in the city. Uh, like, I just want to go back to the, the black and indigenous solidarity action that happened outside of the Columbus statue just a couple, was it weeks ago? I know I was currently at work at that time. And I, I had heard that the Chicago Police Department started like beating up a whole bunch of youth. They started pepper spraying them. So I quickly drove over to the Columbus statue and I, I didn't know what to do because I saw people, you know, with like bloody faces. Uh, a lot of my friends like couldn't, couldn't, they couldn't feel themselves because they were just burning with pepper spray. So, so I, I talked to my friend at the Chicago Freedom School and we quickly went over and provided protesters with water, snacks, first aid, a shelter if they needed it. So yeah, I feel like that's the biggest thing I've gone through recently. How do you believe that protesting against violence should look like? I feel like my view on how you should protest against violence has changed drastically within these past few weeks. If I'm being honest, in the beginning, I thought it was all about peaceful protesting and, you know, voting. And obviously those things are necessary to make a change and they have worked in the past to make a change. But... Recently, I've noticed that there's no bad protesters. There's no bad way of protesting because, for example, like we know that the black community recently has been under attack by not only Mayor Lightfoot, President Donald Trump, but also like all these racist institutions that they're forced to live under. And, you know, living through this much racism for so many years, I don't even blame them for reacting the way they did, you know, in these past few protests. So whether it's looting whether it, I don't know what other ways of, of processing there are. I've heard people say that violence against your oppressors is fine. And I guess in this case, it's justified because they've gone through way too much to, to just peacefully process. Why do you believe that your generation is taking yeah. to create change in the world? I feel like it's always been the youth and the younger generations at the forefront of movements. You know, we've seen that with the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War, when they were forced to, like, go to war for no good reason. So youth, they decided to, you know, use their voice and stick up to authorities and let them know that that wasn't cool. And we've seen that in the past, you know, like, even with these Black Lives Matter protests, it's always the youth leading these marches. And I feel like a big part of that is because, I don't know, I feel like we're not letting ourselves be manipulated by older people anymore because we realize that the future is in our hands like as bad as it sounds older people will die out eventually and their world is going to be in our hands so if we don't do something to create a better world for ourselves and for future generations as well as our kids no one else is going to do that what steps will you take to keep ensuring social change in our communities whether that's just your community or like communities in chicago in general 
I've learned that during conflicts, you always have to listen to the people that are under attack and the people that are oppressed. So recently we've heard, you know, like we all know that Black youth, Black women, Black transgender folks have been under attack the most by your government and by your society in general. So when they're proposing solutions like defunding CPD and investing in our community instead, we need to be listening to those voices because... Obviously, we're not going to live in a better world if we're not listening to those that are impacted the most. What's it like being a male POC activist in Chicago? I've realized that even, you know, despite being a student of color, a son of immigrants, a Chicano living in the south side of Chicago in a low-income neighborhood, I am still very privileged compared to other people, and I still hold a lot of privilege in our current society. Like, you know, being a male, being cisgender... I receive more, I guess, I don't know, just more privileges in general. And I need to use that privilege to amplify the voices of other people in a way that, you know, like, I don't want to be like anyone's savior, you know, like we, we all have to stick together. I don't want to empower anyone. I, I want to unite with everyone and make our voices heard. Do you believe we as a city are ready to be an example of youth activism for others or for other cities? Chicago's youth has been leading in activism for the longest. I don't even remember what grade I was in, but I know that like I wasn't even that involved in organizing when I was like already hearing of like black and brown youth leading leading like actions across the city and holding our mayors accountable. I know like one of the first actions I ever attended was a no cop academy action and it's basically like this action that was led by black and brown queer uh, youth in the city who realized that Rahm Emanuel's decision to build a $95 million cop academy was wrong because like there's black and brown people in the city living in communities that aren't receiving investments, whether there are, uh, you know, like we, we don't have Whole Foods on every corner like we see here in the north side of the city. Our youth, you know, they go and hang out on in the local neighborhood parks and they're vulnerable to being recruited by gangs. It's always the small things that, are added up because of the lack of investments in our community. So going back to the $95 million Cap Academy, that's how you know that that change starts from the bottom up. Black and brown queer youth in our city realized that that money should be allocated to our communities instead. So they decided to hold the mayor, Rahm Emanuel, accountable. And they showed up to City Hall. They showed up, you know, downtown where that money should be getting allocated to our streets. And yeah, I just say that to say that they've been leading activism and the world is definitely ready for this type of activism and should follow the lead of Black and Brown and Indigenous organizers in our city. Congratulations is in effect on being a nominee um, for the Joaquin Guac Oliver Award. Your initial reaction when you found out? I don't know. I it, it feels good to be nominated for, you know, the bravest activists against gun violence. But on the other side, I also felt like, once again, there's been black and brown youth in the city doing the same things that I've been doing or even more. So I feel like an award doesn't really mean much. And, you know, I'm proving that by donating those one that one thousand dollar prize that I'll be getting if I win to Good Kids Mass City and the Chicago Freedom School, because they've been organizing on the streets nonstop. It's their livelihoods, you know. For example, the Chicago Freedom School, I think I touched on this a little bit, but 
that first time that Mayor Lightfoot locked us in in downtown during the Black Lives Matter protests, and then the Black and Indigenous Solidarity Action, CPD was beating up our youth, and the Chicago Freedom School decided to open up their doors to our youth, and they had a nurse there, and they were like they were literally helping my friends out because they couldn't feel their their skin or they couldn't see anymore because they had been pepper sprayed by the Chicago Police Department. Not only were they curing my friends, but they were also giving us free food, free snack, and free shelter. So that's something I really look up to. So many Black and queer organizers in our city have been doing this work, and I just want to highlight their work because it's brave and it's amazing. A lot of people in our city talk about wanting a change and letting the youth be part of that change and leading these actions. I also think it's important to put your money where your mouth is at. Organizing in the community can be expensive, whether it's having like feed the block actions where you go and feed the youth of your community or even like, you know, like local marches and stuff. A lot of the times organizers have to use their, you know, like their pocket change or just like their money in general to organize these things because we're not funded by any corporations or big people in the city and yeah once again like change starts from the bottom it's all grassroots so i think if i'm getting the opportunity to receive this this amount of money then it's important that i donate it to people who are organizing for a safer city like good kids match city in the chicago freedom school yeah my mom found out about the nomination and she was very happy and and you know proud of me but ever since the beginning she's always been a bit scared of me doing this type of work because I'm constantly calling out, you know, I don't really call out our president anymore because I've become numb to his words and actions. But even though they are very harmful for our communities, but like I'm constantly calling out the mayor, the Chicago Police Department, Alderman Raymond Lopez for not caring about our communities and for being out of touch. And as an immigrant herself, she's obviously scared of herself and myself because of the action that I have been taking. But she also knows that this type of work is crucial. And if, I mean, if we're not speaking up for our most vulnerable community, then we shouldn't expect other people to do so. I think my mom's on the same page I am. Like, she knows how important it is for not only, like, Black and brown youth to unite. And when we unite, you know, it's all about sharing our platforms, sharing our resources. And, like, you know, resources also means money in this case. So she agrees with it. You're 18, and if I'm not mistaken, just graduated high school, right? Yeah. Will you be attending college, and what do you plan to major in, and will your career path support your activism? Yeah, so I graduated from Mansueto High School, and I'll be attending St. Norbert College in Wisconsin. My plan is to major in political science and minor in peace and justice. I think it's very important for me to gain more knowledge, create more connections, and eventually come back to my neighborhood to help make it a better place and be that person that I needed when I was younger for other youth in the community. Because it's always about the small things like having a clean park to go to after school or a free after school program to keep you safe from the streets. I, I want to be that person who comes into the neighborhood and also helps other people make the community a better place. You're super involved and super busy. So how do you go about making sure that you're taking care of your well-being while trying to do everything that you are doing? I had recently shared this on my social media. Let me pull it up. Um, I Because a lot of the times I also struggle with like 
taking care of my mental health because I want to be out there. I want to be organizing on the streets. But I also realized that part of making a change and being a youth organizer is taking care of your mental health. So I came across this quote that says, rest is revolutionary. Finding joy is activism. Caring for yourself is resistance. We have to take care of each other and realize that at the end of the day, like if we can't keep up anymore, there will be more people who pick up after us and will continue the work we've been doing because this work doesn't stop anytime soon. Like our fight for liberation will take a long time. So it's necessary that we take care of our mental health and check up on each other. What advice would you give youth or anyone who wants to get involved in social justice movements? Just like you mentioned, I think it's, it's very important for youth in our communities to realize and remember where they come from and what makes them them because there are millions of other people in our country who are involved with these types of things. But like there, there will always be something unique about you. Like youth in our community, or at least in my community, are you know low income kids of immigrants, and those like we have a, a very different experience in life than other people. So we need to take that to our advantage and know how to grow from our weaknesses. That would be the first thing. And the second thing I think would be just getting to know your community and the beauty of it. Because once you realize the beauty of your community, you'll be able to connect with more people, more organizations, more organizers. And that's how you start making a change within your community, starting with yourself and the people around you. You know, just to end this off, I think it's very important for us, quote unquote, minorities to realize that we're not the minorities and we over power and number those in power just recently during the pandemic we realized that you know we have taken care of each other more than the government has taken care of us whether that's through mutual aid initiatives or whether that's you know with rent relief types of resources everything starts within ourselves and our communities and how we're able to support each other we have to remember to always stay grounded and to come back to our communities to help make it a better place for future generations to live in. And we're back. All right, so that was our interview with Diego Garcia, the co-founder of Chicago Fuerte Youth Group. Yeah, so... Go ahead. Yeah, so we're still continuing to talk about activism, and I just want to comment a little bit on that interview. Um, It was my first time listening to it, so I just want to say that um, it was very powerful, um, and I can hear, like, throughout these interviews, like the energy and courage in people um, and how they express themselves about the work that they do. Um, I think that's amazing. And it can be misunderstood, you know? And I think that um, in the interview with Stefan, they mentioned that, um, you know, sometimes older generations can think of younger people as aggressive or, reckless and you know I think it's just a misunderstanding that you know when you're young we we have a lot of energy 
and some youth um directed a certain way and you know other youth directed another way and um as diego mentioned there is no right or wrong way to express yourself and your emotions and what you're going through and and it has a lot to do with also the guidance so i just feel like um at the end what i have really like put together from the conversations i've been listening it, it's unity and doing your part because like once you start doing your part people follow you and i think about it sometimes like um how like when we were babies right we don't learn from like people telling us like oh this is right this is wrong or do this do that because we don't we're barely learning language right i i feel like you know when we're when we were babies and going off of this because i have nephews baby nephews um they learn based on what they see so however they see you react when you're mad however you react when you're happy um you know you can tell them to react a certain way but at the end of the day they're they learn from how they see us and that's how we are in society we're like always learning we're always like influencing each other and yeah i just wanted to really say that <laughs> yeah and you know something that diego said kind of was that i thought was really powerful was well in short um you know, you can't change anyone else's mind or anyone else's view without first changing yourself. And I think that's something that, you know, is true for anything. You know, if you want to make change and you're trying to change the views of other people, you know, you, you got to change yourself first. You got to make sure that you're doing things right before you come and tell someone else, you know, what they should be doing or what you think is right and they should change about themselves. I don't know. I thought, I thought those were some really powerful words on Diego's part. Yeah, I agree. And it goes along with um, knowing your privilege, right? Um, we're not, um, we all have different experiences. We all have um different ways where we are privileged and we need to recognize it you know it's it's also the little things that make someone very privileged you know like it can be as far as actually like having a home or having um that protection that you don't have to fear walking outside like that is being privileged and recognizing that is important and part of um how you mentioned um correcting yourself getting to to know yourself in that process um so yeah, I, I totally understand what you mean. And it's about also motivating each other. Like obviously we're not all we're only humans and you know we you know how I was just talking about we grow up on what we see and once we get to a certain age, we kind of reflect back and think like, wow, that's what I used to think, or wow, now I understand why I used to think that way and I now I see why that's wrong or you know why it can be hurtful and that's that's how it starts from the root as Diego mentioned I really like that because I, I am big big believer that um approaching things from the root it's where it's at because you can't try to get to the top of the tree and understand it if you didn't even pay attention to the root um and I think that's an important concept to remember yeah and going along with that I think that's something that's very important especially like here in a Latino community where a lot of the older generation has views that are drastically different from, you know, I guess you could say what they should be. Um, they have a lot of um, views that are very negative. 
um, you know, against, I guess, other people of color or, you know, people of the LGBT community where we need them to understand that we need to treat everyone as equals. Everyone, we're all people. We all need to treat everyone, you know, the same. Yeah, definitely. And I think our generations are putting a lot of effort to educate our families as well. And, you know, and as some of the interviews mentioned as well, like it starts with a conversation at home and correcting your family members and educating them. But um, yeah, I hope that our listeners are inspired by our activism show. Uh, we have a couple more interviews to go. But for now, we are going to go on a short break and we'll be right back. And don't forget that you are listening to WLPN, LP Chicago, 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. And this is What's Up Activism Show. Chicago Freedom Schools is an organization that empowers youth in taking action for justice within their own communities. They tackle issues such as mass incarnation and food justice, racism to heterosexism, and take action. The Youth Leadership Board is made up of 10 Freedom Fellow alumni, ages 15 through 19, seeking to take a leadership role in the governance of youth programs. They organize and provide workshops, training, and education for leadership development, movement building, and youth activism. Chicago Freedom School supports the next generation of youth of color to become strategic and motivated leaders for social justice. For more information, you can go to chicagofreedomschools.org. Southside Weekly is a bi-weekly nonprofit newspaper that reports on cultural and civics in the communities on the south side of Chicago. Southside Weekly publishes inspiring stories, artwork, and illustrations from local artists. In addition, in-depth publication and coverage in politics, the arts, issues on public interest, and alongside poetry, interviews, and events. They also provide articles in Spanish in their online newspaper for their audience who prefer Spanish over English, a local, reliable, fun, informative, and filled with beautiful Chicago artwork, Southside Weekly. For more information on how to support the Southside Weekly team, you can visit southsideweekly.com. Hello, hello, and we are back with more. (laughs) yeah, so I'm super inspired and I'm really excited to listen to our last interview, actually, of um, today's show. And that would be up next. Our interview is with Saul Palos Rodriguez, and they are a Mexican-American visual artist and music producer based in Rogers Park, Chicago. They are currently focusing on creating art with awareness towards Black Lives Matter movement, along with queer and immigrant issues. And I'm really excited because um, it's a. I think it's interesting also when we start including um, creative and interesting flows into activism. Um, as we heard in some of the interviews, it can be very intense work, and we have to find joy in all the work that we do. So let's go ahead and listen to Saul's interview. What I want to dive into knowing with 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 who you are is how did you get involved in the social justice movements that are currently happening? Because I want to put a voice out. I'm an artist. I do murals around the city, but I don't really necessarily, because I 
started, I was waiting for unemployment, and I recently got unemployment recently, and I'm like, oh, I'm lucky. Now I can pay off some hospital bills and, like, student loans. But now I, I, I feel guilty because now I have this money, but what can I do with it? So, like, what I did is, like, I helped sponsor people, and I also were, I was offering to do billboards for free because I feel like those type of things you can't just make money off of. You can't invest on black lives like that. So I said, like, hey, let me be a part of it. I don't care how much it's to cost. I'll go there and, like, work day and night on murals. I was, fi- I was fighting a, a, against few neighbors that didn't really have that point of view of, like, all black lives matter. They were, like, all lives matter. And we, I tried to have a normal conversation, but they didn't really understand. But we won. We left the boards. The boards are still there. And all the boards that I'm painting on, they're either going to be donated to, uh, like, if someone's collecting boards around the city to keep, like, like a documentation of, like, a historic movement um, that's going there. And the ones that are not being, like, given to them, they're going to be sold off and all the money goes to a certain foundation. What? Like, that is amazing! And, and speaking of, of you painting these murals, what other types of struggles did you face when painting them besides having backlash from neighbors themselves? Did you encounter any backlash from businesses? It was weird because I always had a cop in like literally I was always surrounded by cops. But I mean, I, the owners, the people that wanted me there, they were always there, always right next to my side, always after the water. You know, like there's the smallest things you could do. And I'm like, I feel like I did my part. And I'm still doing it. Um, With the explosion of the Black Lives Matter movement during the pandemic, what did you envision your work to look like? I feel like painters are documenters. And many people in this day and age, they want to document themselves. That's why they paint like cats. Oh, I like cats. I'm going to do cats. Or like, (laughs) hey, man, I like flowers. I'm going to do flowers. But I feel like there there are true documenters. And we can look at throughout history where people actually document, like, you know, certain times. And I feel like I want to be those type of person where, like, actually there's facts. There's actually, you know, there's clues of our current 2020 because you never know. We might not exist, but our paintings might, like, show a message out later on. You'll never know, you know. It's just, like, I always have that, like, thinking, like, okay, I have the ability to just leave a message for the future. It doesn't matter if my name's on it or not. It's just something will happen and I feel like I don't know um it's just I think about children right now in cages it's really wrong and I just I don't know it's something that you you know how like you 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 want to do something but you really can't and it's like really rough but I feel like painting does show a message in a way and I get really emotional about this because um, I am immigrant, so it's just a lot. You know, God hope that these kids are finally out of these cages and can one day, when they're older, see that there was that there was people that did want their freedom. You know, it wasn't just you know their families back home. It really was a lot of us that did not want that. Aside from like the mural work that you've been doing, in what other ways do you participate in? in activism? So I feel like activists themselves need therapy, like to relax. Like the people that are like screaming out, like the ones that are leaders, they need some type of help because they can't just use all their energy and expect to constantly get in another march. So what I feel like I've been doing, I've been offering to paint 
or like change their room or their surroundings. That's why in like one of the murals, I, I started working with family. Like they just moved in. They're going through so many things right now. They're being like, you know, they're just going through a lot. So like also the birthday came and like I was like, let me do a dedication from everyone that you love from every country. I wanted to paint their national flower on his on their like room. So like all the friends that like Filipinos, Mexican, like the national flowers, all like that's that's my project. And I've been like helping anyone that's like in that community to just feel better about it. Like at, like at least make their room and their environment like you know home and safe. Um, also, my roommate and I. My roommate is a part, is the co-founder of Luya, and it's like Luya is an organization, a Filipinx organization, and she's been really supportive too. I'm so lucky that she's my roommate because she's keeping me aware of other things that are like after effect of like marching, like people that get arrested, like what's the process? So what she's been doing and she's been helping me do, like I've been like on call when they go out, um, they go to the police department in like Boys Town or anywhere that the protests were and we wait we wait until like eight in the morning. It doesn't matter, but we're waiting to to get those people released. That really did an impact. <laughs> but um I feel like I feel like that's that's one of that beautiful thing because Chris what she's doing is saving in a way, like saving people because they don't feed people in jail. Like they don't give them sources. They just wait. And I'm like, that's not right. So we try our best to release as many people. And do you see yourself as an activist or an advocate? Or I'm going to bring you this term, artivist. I'm just trying to do good. As long as there's an opportunity to impact someone positively, I'm all for it. I, I, help, peop- I help local artists install landmarks in Junway Beach or, or help Lavar in the B-Line. The B-Line's in Fulton, Fulton Market. And that's where they do murals throughout, like, one, two miles of murals. In 2018, I helped prime all those white walls to restore for new artists to come in. And I also helped Felipe Panton with the new bridge, the colorful bridge in Fulton Market. And, like, people don't really know, like, there's hard labor behind it before they put the artists on there. Like, you have to prime stuff. And doing those things helped me connect to the community and it understood like what's the labor and what you have to do, outdoor work. It's just like all these things. And like people over time just look at what you're doing. One thing I love about what I do is seeing the kids. They get so inspired. Like they take photos and like, I just like, oh, you know, they want to take photos for me. And it's like, okay, mask first, but yeah. (laughs) It really is awesome to hear everything that you're involved in. And I think you have the right heart going into all of this with not labeling yourself as something. Como dices tú, it takes, you know, it takes a village. It takes a community. You know, it's a family environment and energy that is helping us move forward and create all these amazing things. And I know that you just dropped a new song and i was going to ask you you know (laughs) besides you being involved in community work where do you see your career heading forward with your visual art and with your music i feel like i know i like art it came to a point where like i want to do some more creative things at home because i know like if i work like every day i paint so i want to like i know i'm really good with vocals but i started working vocals here and then i realized like i want to make music 
but how am I going to make music? I'm like, okay, I need to buy and invest in the systems and everything that I need to do. So I learned everything myself, and I started inviting people over, like, hey, come. Like, I know you're really good. I I pick, I pick friends that are really good with singing, and they want to put out, a, like, a message out. And, like, hey, why don't we just do a message for, like, people that are actually out there, like, instead of, like, hey, hey, oh, you know, like, add some more you know, when people are, like, walking, like, you know, but it's still, like, I love that march. I love that. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't change it. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> like, let's make a song for it. Like, so, LeSage, LeSage William, he's a really good, talented person. I met them through online, and they were pretty cool, and we clicked instantly, and we was like, hey, let's do a song, and like, yeah, let's do a song, and that's how Walk With Me appeared randomly. I've been doing beats, and I had like the mini beats and like Lesage like this certain beat and I was like, okay, let's work with this one. And then over time, it just happened within like three hours and we made the song. To close off, what 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 kinds of, of activities, and this might be a hard one with everything going on in the world, what activities are you involved in that isn't creating artwork or being involved with community work? What, what do you do to keep yourself at a good mental an emotional state to just freely be. I like to calm down with a nice um, bowl of herbs. That's my calming down. But like, I like when I smoke, I like to like create stuff. But I sometimes I like to like bring, I don't know why I just bring a little bucket and a little paintbrush. And I'm like, if I look for a tree, you know, that has a little hole, I'll just like put little, little things growing inside of it or like little things. That is the cutest thing ever. It really is. Right. I, I've seen some of those. I've seen some of those paintings. But no, hey, that is all of the questions that I had over here on my end. I am super thankful that you took the time to speak with us today and answer these questions. Honestly, you told me even more things that I didn't know that you were involved in. So it's really awesome to hear your involvement and honestly i'm really bad at texting no. but i can sh- i can like express it better no it's, you know? <laughs> I mean, this, this is what we needed we we needed this this expression and honestly thank you and i'm gonna say thank you again for everything that you're involved in i know that it takes a lot of people to be a part of this muchas gracias por tener you know el corazón ideal y correcto para poder darnos paz y amor a todos los demás en verdad muchas gracias Alas de Santos, featuring the sage.
Hello, and we are back. And that was Saul's song, Walk With Me, featuring La Sage. And we were all dancing back here in production. <laughs> that song was amazing. Um, definitely going to check it out after the show because I want to keep jamming. Um, but yeah, can we all agree that artists, you know, are a wonderful element in our world? You know, there's all types of art, whether it's music, whether it's visual, whether it's sound. Um, even like the movements that we're doing are an art form because there's organization, there's thought, there's so much that goes into it. And when you piece something together, you know, and you throw it out in the world, like it really makes a difference. And I just want to say thank you to all our creative people in the world. <laughs> Definitely. Because in activism, you know, like you said, it's not only um, whether you're doing music or visual arts or any other art form like if you're going out there and protesting you're still putting your heart your mind and your soul into you know everything that you do so everything that is activism is truly art you know because you're putting in your all definitely well i hope that our listeners learned of some of the youth activists that are in our city as well as some of the organizations that we heard today such as Chicago Freedom Schools, Chicago Fuerte Youth Group, and the Gage Park Latinx Council, along with um, Saul Rodriguez, which um, we are all grateful to have had you all for our guests, as a guest for our activism show. Um, and yeah, um, I definitely feel more empowered to also learn that there's other youth um, all over the city putting in work it can be, especially through the pandemic, um, it can be a little bit um, tough to know that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of it is also being done at home, um, away from like the community that you would normally unite with. Um, so that can definitely be intense. And I just want to say um, thank you to everyone for putting in so much work. Um, but yeah, we're we're happy that um, you were all part of our show, and this is still season 14, and our sibling show, La, um, radio show, La Mesita, will be doing interviews with artists, musicians, um, and bringing back the good old music jams that we all want to, you know, tune into, but that will be in our next Saturday's shows, so stay tuned for that because La Mesita has been working very hard to give us some good um, music. And not to mention, we have, um, or they have um, new students, and I'm very excited to see their work um, for the first time, actually. And I'm excited to welcome them to our platform. Um, and not to mention as well, um, our amazing team member, Melissa, is working on a new segment for Cruel Public Schooling. So um, if you missed last week's that will be up soon and there's a new segment launching this week um so stay tuned for that and you know keeping the activism going we we all tackle it different ways and another one ways that maybe we haven't mentioned on the radio but our team actually wrote some articles for the quarantine times as well and they're all there for you to see it on the website quarantine quarantine times so check those out if you are interested in some good reads um yeah there's there's a lot of soul in there a lot of um 
personal sentiment. And I feel like we, you know, we can all learn from getting to know each other personally, but not personally, if that makes sense, due to our um, current situations that we're going through. But yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of a more intimate view into, you know, who we are as people and the stuff that we believe in. Yeah. And then, um, Adrian, you wrote one recently too. Well, what was your topic about? Um, well, mine was talking about partially the gentrification of Little Village, um, especially the remodeling of the Little Village Plaza, um, where Novak Construction, the Novak Construction Company uh, bought off the lot and they're trying to completely change um, what the Little Village Plaza is and displace the vendors of the little stores, uh, which includes the Discount Mall, one of the bigger um, locales that is on the lot that's awesome yeah. yeah so there's definitely different um different perspectives um different all stories took a different approach some are more personal like um carlos's that was released this week which was an amazing um personal journal entry about release and that was beautiful with amazing artwork as well and so yeah stay tuned for those um articles and Hope that you all enjoy them because a lot of work was put into that. Um, so, yeah, thank you for tuning into today's show. Um, hope that you all enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time. And my name is Nine. And I'm Adrian. And we are the WhatsApp team. And thank you for our team and production behind the scenes. All of you all are great um, for helping out with production of, for the interviews. And until next time. <laughs> Give up your land, Mr. Government Man. Yeah. Mr. Government Man. Give up your land. Mr. Government Man. Give up your land. The poor man, he wants to build. It's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delicious, funny, breathtaking, wee-snatching, Liddy Poppin' production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up? Again. In the meantime, we'll be twerking on our next one. Here in Lumpkin Radio. So stay tuned for our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delicious, funny, breathtaking, weave-snatching, highly amazing production. I hope that you were informed about the YOLO-licious parts of life and get your bag aired out. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolo Cali, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolo Cali, or visit at yolocali.org for more. We are the robots. We are the robots.